and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And today is a co-recommendation from both Ian and I. Um, now, we did not see this movie together, but I want to say, we did we see it the same weekend, or did I see it the weekend after you? I think you were the weekend after. That makes sense. Because yeah. uh, you saw it opening weekend. Yeah. Okay. And unfortunately, I feel like this uh, this is going to air way after the movie has been out. So who knows? I'm, I'm assuming some of the, the dialogue around this movie might have died down. But we are talking about the surprisingly Todd Phillips-directed Joker. Yeah, when did you think anything like that was ever going to happen in Todd Phillips' filmography? I don't I don't know. And it's funny because I very much enjoy his movies and I even thought the trailer for this was was pretty good. You could tell that it wasn't going to be at the same level of The Hangover or or old school. And what I'm, and I just mean by that like it's I I literally mean just the camera movement, the cinematography. There was a level he he'd leveled up. You could tell in the trailer. Um but the trailer does not do enough justice, I think, to this movie. Oh, no. Well, and having Scorsese on as a producer or consultant or whatever he was, yeah, whatever capacity he helped the film in, it's, that you could definitely see his influence all over it. So do you want do you want to take us through just a, like the, a brief yeah. rundown uh, of the so movie? So Joker, uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing a guy named Arthur Fleck, and uh, he works as a sort of rent-a-clown working for this agency that hires out uh, performers to... Do children's hospitals and and uh, of course that's the one you mentioned. Of course, and oh the science God. that scene. That, oh, yeah. that scene is incredible. Um, and and uh, he's just a man who is pushed beyond his limit. Uh, he lives at home with his mother, doing his best to take care of her. And he the the scene that they really previewed a lot in the trailer is the one where the kids steal the sign from him, and then mm-hmm. they end up uh, beating him up in a in a dark alley and. Uh, I mean, there's so much. I mean, I it's it, hopefully it'll still be in theaters by the time this goes out. So I don't want to be too spoilery, but there's a great subplot involving Thomas Wayne because this is very much still in the uh, the world of Batman, and so there are references to the and, Waynes pretty much throughout. I don't think that's too much. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that that's he's that's, a he's I, a major enough character, and those are major I, enough yeah, plot points. Yeah. And I was gonna say if you if you IMDb'd this movie, you would see. The character, the actor playing Thomas yeah, Wayne. Yeah, so, Thomas Wayne and, and even even Bruce Wayne exactly, as, a, as yeah. a much younger man because it's set in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, you just watch his gradual descent into becoming one of the most nefarious villains in comic book history. And there's a great scene, one of the, the final pushes where he has been fired from his job and he fights back against these three Wall Street types on yeah. the subway. And that's yeah. really the beginning of the, the change or the, of the real change in him. You know, uh, but it's very much uh, inspired by King of Comedy. I know a lot of people were making references to that yeah. all throughout the the marketing and stuff. But I, I I do find it to be its own thing. And you know, when we when we left the movies, we were I mean, you know, it was kind of had had to let that go. You know, my shoulders were very tense from from watching this movie. And you know, Melissa and I were 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 talking in the car before we picked up our, our girls, and you know, we kept talking about about Joaquin's performance and, and just the character of Arthur Fleck. And it's funny. He's so sympathetic and it's weird. And I get, I kind of get what all the backlash was about, about feeling so feeling such a kinship for somebody who ends up doing such terrible things in the movie. 
And while I obviously don't condone anything he did in the movie, what I what I appreciate about this movie and other other films like it is when they they, they humanize this person. Like I I don't want to just look at this guy and go, oh, he's bad. He's bad because he kills people, and then that's we don't know why. Like this, I find very interesting. So I don't know, man. I, I it was hard because like that scene on the subway, for instance. I'm not going to give anything away, but it's. How do you fault him for that? I well, mean, that's and, a, well, and the the thing that. Let's just say this movie. I don't. I don't know what. I haven't quite decided. Five star, four star, what I rate it so far. But uh, let's just say the movie is a C. Without, well, rather to say it's a B. Without Joaquin, it drops instantly to a C or a C minus or I mean, however it, you want to rate it. Sure. I, it it it's not a it's not a very strong film. But it, it has a strong performance that elevates everything else in it. You know, and that's funny because I, I, I tend to not like movies that are very much like, look, look at this person. And not, I don't want to say slice of life, but it is kind of what this felt like. There's I, I, not well, really a character a plot. study. Yeah, there's yeah. not really a plot to this movie. But not until the last half hour. And the last half hour is ooh, perfect. Yeah. Like, absolutely perfect. The second that he starts to, like, own the Joker. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like he starts to kind of transform himself. There's, there's that scene in the, in the trailer. Where yeah, he's oh, he's coming his down the, coming down the stairs. Exactly. And, uh... Yes. And when he, when he's feeling it, it, yeah. And you just know that it, this is gonna lead to something. I, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I kind of, I, I had this idea of, of what I think about movies that I like. Like, what is it, what is it that makes a great movie for me? And. The simple answer was anything that causes a a big reaction to me, whether it's big laughs or or sobbing uncontrollably or like or feeling really tense. And the best I don't want to call this movie a thriller, but the best movies like this, like literally have me like I close off my shoulders and I can't really, you know, I can't stop like hiding behind my hands a little bit. And this movie repeatedly had me feeling like, fuck, what, what is going to happen? And. I, I love a movie like that. And, did, and you, did you have Prisoners as a recommend on an yeah. episode ages ago? Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's very similar feeling. Yeah. The, the the level of intensity and going down this path with these people, or, or in this case, just Joaquin, and just you, you hang on every word he says, which is really the power of his performance. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, uh, you know, obviously too early to talk about locks, but... I think I think he's got a great chance to yeah. be nominated for this. I'd be very surprised to see him not. Yeah, and I don't think I I wouldn't say this movie's going to have anything else in terms of nomination wise. Maybe cinematography. Maybe, but, maybe. But you know, it, it, there are so many other movies coming out yeah. that have I think have a, a more of a style to them, and it, this this does feel like Todd Phillips. Um, we'll, we'll we'll be generous, paying homage to a lot of different movies and filmmakers. Uh, so I feel like it would be a disservice to other cinematographers if, if this happened to be the one that got a, na- a nomination because there's a lot of things being taken from a lot of other movies. Yeah, it's it's not a style of his own. It's it's borrowed from, I don't know, everywhere. Scorsese, Michael Mann. Uh, little Hitchcock. Little Hitchcock. Yeah. Little De Palma. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, yeah. It, guilty by association. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, you know it's weird because I don't I don't want to say too much because it, at least as of this recording it's still very fresh and I don't want to say anything that might might ruin this movie. But I I was I was I wanted to see it. I, w- I wouldn't say I was excited, but I left pretty much pretty enthralled. Yeah, and, my uh, expectations were fairly low going in. 
Yeah, low to midland. And see, I think I think that's why I think I, I would say I like this movie more than you, um, because I was. I, oh, I don't. I don't think that at all. Oh, really? I, well, I would I say that. Loved this film. Absolutely. I thought you gave it a B. No, I was just as for example. Oh. You know what I mean? If the movie is an A and doesn't oh, have gotcha, gotcha, walking, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. it's it's a B. Okay. Well, then maybe not. Maybe then yeah. maybe we both just love this movie because yeah. I I fucking love this movie. I well, I think it's I think it's the only the only uh, things I didn't like. It's just it's a little simplistic and it like you said a lot feels borrowed from it. It doesn't really have an identity of its own. And I don't know why that didn't bother me as yeah. much. Because I, I, normally I feel like that would be something I couldn't get past in a movie, but right. I, and maybe it really just is a testament to Joaquin Phoenix in this yeah, movie. Well, absolutely, yeah, and that's that's where he elevates it above yeah, that yeah. as it not having its own identity because it's it's got him. Maybe it doesn't need its own identity because it's got a leading performance that's so strong it just it eats everything around it. Yeah, that's fair. And but yeah, I, the, the last half hour is great. The final line of the film, perfect. Yeah. I, and again, I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the the last line of the film, just, I was giggling like an idiot. <laughs> really inappropriately. Well, and I wonder too, I, I don't, uh, I, we have, we have, we have a, we, we have so much to talk about, about this movie that is so long and so epic, but I, I, I just want to say, do you, is there any, is there any world in which they cross this over with the upcoming Pattons and Batman? I think that would be interesting. I would love to see Pattinson and, uh. And walking go head to head. I would, That's I would fucking love it. I'm all over that. I, I I don't and I don't think there's any like this wasn't like a DC produced movie, Joker, but I, I wanna see it happen. I I I, <laughs> I wanna see it so yeah, bad. it'd be fantastic. I, the more we go along, I mean Batman does, to be fair, need a break. And if I have to see you know, that scene, one more goddamn how many times do we have to see the origin of Batman? Although did you see who's playing um is it Riddler? Yeah, Paul Dano. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like him, but it seems like the kind of role he could do. Yeah. Yeah. Channeling a little bit of what he did in There Will Be Blood and a little bit of what he did in, in Prisoners, and you can make something Yeah. probably special. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, Joker, Todd Phillips, Walking Phoenix, go see it. Uh, I, I have a pretty good feeling this will still be in theaters by the time we air this one. So Yeah, it's, it's going to stick around through award season, yeah, I should think. I think so, too. Um. So before we get into today's episode on the good and the bad and the ugly, um, I just want to say a quick quick shout out to our newest Patreon, uh, Ryan Michael Zepp. Thank you so much for joining. Um, who's uh, who's already given us his recommend, uh, his recommend to recommend, which we won't do for a while, but that's great because we already know what it is. So we'll 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 plan accordingly. So thank you very much. And um, to anybody else, you can support the show at Patreon.com/slash a thousand one by one, and you know follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and listen to us on Spotify and Google Play and Apple Podcasts and all that other good stuff too. So great. Let us talk about this movie, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Directed by Sergio Leone and written by him and a lot of other Italian people whose names I don't want to butcher, but maybe we could we could alternate and, and say some so we both sound like idiots. How do you, how do you feel All about right. that? All right, so uh, also receiving a story credit, there is Luciano Vincenzoni. And Furio Scarpelli. And uh, Agnor Incarocchi. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely butchering that. Sorry yeah, about okay. that. We do. We do uh, but apparently those two guys, the, the last two guys, are comedy writers. And yes. a lot of their uh, contributions, I think I'd read that there's maybe a handful of lines of dialogue left in the script that were theirs. Yeah. And, uh, nothing else. Because yeah. Leone found them impossible to work with. Which... And, you know, watching this movie, there's so much going on. I think I think any other kind of added comedy or, or added bits would have been 
unnecessary. I mean, the movie does have moments of, of genuine, genuinely funny lines, Absolutely. and I'm sure that some of them, some of them came from these comedy writers. But... Although, although I would say some of them just came straight up from one of our uh, stars of the movie too, who's apparently improved some stuff that made it in there. Yeah, because he is fantastic. So you know, I have it. I have a whole cast list of people, but. And I'm just going to say the three, because if, and if you have others you'd like to shout out, I'm, I'm totally on board. But we just got to talk about the three. Um, so let's talk about the good, uh, Clint Eastwood, who plays Blondie. Uh, the bad, that would be Lee Van Cleef playing Angel Eyes. And the ugly, <laughs> Eli Wallach as Tuco. Um, and let's be fair, this is, Clint Eastwood might be built first, and he is the star but this is Eli Wallach's movie. Well, and yeah, yes, not just in terms of, of screen time, but I was I was kind of this morning still kind of reading some additional notes and and, and just sort of kind of going in, into the depth that is this movie because there's so much in there. And, I, you know, we do, we do find out the most about Tuco more than anybody else. You know, he's the only one that really has any kind of a past that comes to fruition because we, you know, we get to meet his brother and... You know, he, we, we at least know that he had parents that were alive somewhat recently. Uh, know, we know before. he's got a wife and kid out there that he abandoned. Yeah, yeah. We, we have a fully formed picture Absolutely. of who Tuco is. Now, I, I, don't, I don't really mean to disservice anybody else in the movie, but it, we don't really stay with anybody else all that often. Is there anybody else that you want to like shout out now? Yeah, I, I love Enzo Petito, who plays the gun store owner. Oh yes, yeah, he's, that, he's fantastic. That's a fun scene. And, I, uh, I, did, I did really like. Um, I, I'm going to probably say it wrong. Is it Aldo? It's like Aldo Girafe. Yeah. Um, who plays the the alcoholic union captain? He he does have a name. I think it's Captain Clinton. Okay, there you go. Uh, but yeah, I think he's just billed as alcoholic union captain. I did like him in the yeah. movie. just just kind of his whole demeanor, like you know. This idea of like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen in this war, so fuck it. I'm just going to go about business the way that I want to do it. The, the great line of, you know, whoever wins is the, the one who has the most liquor yeah. to get his troops all, you know, boozed up with and send those poor bastards out to die. You know? um, but I, yeah, so anyways, I don't I don't mean to, 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 you know, not show appreciation to anybody else in this movie, but there was a there was a quote I read about uh, Leone as a director, which I think will, will kind of kind of lead to why I'm not necessarily talking about anybody else which is that he liked he liked faces he he really liked faces with character and in a way it's almost like why Eli Wallach was in the movie because Eli Wallach has some fucking character in his face and you know when when you're at the 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 fake hangings of Tuco and Leone just kind of pans across a lot of the crowd everybody's so interesting and like his fascination with that that guy that had no legs that is some in the movie for like you know a minute and the fact that Lee Van Cleef was actually missing part of his finger, we actually kind of, we, he lingers on that for a little bit. I think Leone liked these, I don't want to say strange people, but these strange people. Well, and, no, uh, that, that they, all, they all have that rugged, lived-in, yeah, exactly. weathered sort of look. Like, they've yeah. been out here for a while. They've seen some shit and done some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, so we'll, we'll move on from them. Um, now, Leone has two other movies in the book and they both start with with once upon once upon a time in the west in 1968 and once upon a time in america in 1983 now you've seen both of those yeah okay i've seen one of those i'm assuming just once upon a time in america no no oh we haven't once upon a time in the west okay now do i does my stock go up if i tell you that in 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 preparation for this movie i also watched 
fistful of dollars and for a few dollars more. Yeah, I mean, I think they're. Does it, does I it think go it's up? a fantastic trilogy. Does it go yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I'm glad that I had, you took I the hadn't time seen to. Him, I hadn't seen them before. Now, before we go any further, because you mentioned something, I have to bring this up now. And as somebody who's seen these more often than I have and would just know, is this really a trilogy? No. Okay. Okay. No. So, um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is confirmed. <clears throat> Excuse me. What? Are you sick? No. No. I'm dehydrated. I'm not. I, do, <clears throat> I just smoked all that. <clears throat> I did have a cigar last night that I probably should not have had um, because that just completely dried me out. Now my throat is destroyed. That's a thing. Which is a bad idea. Yep. Anyway. um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is not. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, yeah, is confirmed as a prequel to Fistful of Dollars, but he is a different character in for a few dollars more, and there was some sort of lawsuit behind the writing of Fistful of Dollars, and of course they were also sued by... Uh, Toho Studios in Japan because of it. Fistful of Dollars is a direct remake of Yojimbo down yeah. to like shots and everything. Um, I, and I sorry, I I only wanted to bring it up because I I think it's there's another podcast out there called um, Unspooled that I really like and somebody on their Facebook page had been was like what's the best trilogy ever and and this was listed on there and I, I commented being like should this even be considered. And somebody like responded to me and was like, um, yeah, it should. And I was like, well, tell me why, please. Because like, I understand why, why certain movies are called trilogies because they're continued stories that go on with familiar characters. And I was like, if, if this is because the whole, the man with no name thing, which was, a, which was a marketing thing more than anything else, then I, I call foul on that because he's not the same character. It's like, well, he's wearing the same clothes. I'm like, yeah, he was wearing the same clothes because this, they had no fucking money to do these movies. He yeah. liked the poncho. He wanted to keep using it. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not a trilogy, and that, I, I that's going to be the you. hottest that's going to be the hottest take I think coming out of this episode because well, it is just generally agreed upon that these three movies go together. Then let's just say that that it's not just half that that, that this is a a solid a thousand and one by one opinion that the Dollars trilogy is not a trilogy. They're just three great westerns that were made by Sergio Leone. Yeah, and the the whole man with no name is bull. Even though we assume that Blondie and Joe are nicknames. I mean, he has a name in all three of them, and he's Manco in um, for a few dollars more. I mean, it is a different character. It's it's not a trilogy. Yeah, it's just it was a great marketing ploy by uh, United Artists. Now we don't. I, I don't. I, I we can this can come back up later too. But I, if you had to rank them one, two, three, favorite to least favorite, how would it go? I go. I go backwards. Good, the bad, and the ugly for a few dollars more, and then fistful. I agree. Okay, cool. Okay, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. really like for a few dollars more. I love the the little cameo by Klaus Kinski and as I, the hunchback. And I think Lee Van Cleef really. I got. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I un, unfamiliar with him in any way, shape, or form before seeing the Good, Bad, and the Ugly. And uh, I'm glad uh, for, uh, for watching these movies and for no other reason than now I know who he was and just how awesome he was. And yeah, movies. he was. Yeah, a fantastic guy. The scene where he has to to beat up on Maria, he refused to do it. and He made them get a double because even even in the movies, he said, "I I don't hit women and I don't kick dogs." Yeah, that's yeah. right. I read that too. That's yeah. great. Fantastic. A man of uh, upstandingly upstandingly moral yes. kind of guy yeah. by the sound of it. Um. So this movie has no accolades to speak of in terms of what it would have received at the time when it was released. But there's a whole lot of things that it's on now, you know, decades later. Um, 
I don't know if there's... Do you have any that you want to read? It? Well, there, there is... IMDb lists one, a Laurel Award, which uh, doesn't exist anymore. It was only between 1951 and 71. Eastwood was nominated for Best Action Performance, which he lost to Lee Marvin for The Dirty Dozen. Oh, that's, okay. That's literally the only thing it has, other than... Uh, it's, it's, as of the 14th of October, it was number 10 on IMDb's Top 250. It has uh, no. Pulp Fiction and uh, Joker on either side of yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say, um, that's how much the IMDb 250 is kind of a, a fucking shit show. Yeah, it is. I mean, the Joker's been out for two weeks, and it is somehow number 10. The num- the 10 best movie ever made. No. No. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, but a lot of, you know, I'm not going to go through all these, but, you know, uh, at one point it was ranked uh, the 49th best film ever made uh, on a vari- in a variety of... Uh, uh, issue film four held a poll. It was number forty six. Um, Premiere had it, uh, uh, it as one of the most daring films ever made. It's it's Tarantino has cited this as the best directed film and greatest achievement in cinema history. Uh, things like that. You know, it, it is one of these beloved movies that that filmmakers now look back on in, in awe and 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 speak highly of it for for I would say very very good reasons. It's a it's a great movie. Tarantino being your favorite filmmaker of all time is he still your favorite? Fi- he was. I don't know how you how you rank him these days. Um, it, it's hard because Pulp Fiction is the reason why I like acting and writing and, and film in general. I don't of of working directors. That's that's tough. I don't know. Um, he because he so infrequently makes movies now that it's hard to say that he is my he's my favorite. Um, he's certainly up there for sure. Yeah. I was just curious how you felt about him saying that. Oh well, the thing I know like what I appreciate about him and somebody else like Scorsese who's going to come up again in this, in this um, topic, because I, I have some thoughts um, is I appreciate their, their history, the knowledge of film and cinema that they, they have and the way they talk about it with such reverence. And if somebody like one of those two talks about why they like, this is one of the best movies ever. There's probably a reason for it because they, they do have that appreciation and knowledge for the craft. So Tarantino saying something like that, does go a long way just like Scorsese you know like I I appreciate their opinions on film because they've been doing it for a while and they've really spent the time to study it you mentioning Scorsese are we talking about his marvelism cinema no 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 no. I mean I mean directly related to the good the bad the ugly oh yeah I I have a thought later yeah um uh so I have Roger Ebert's review the the 2003 one? No, the original one. Oh, you found his original? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So I just wanted to read a little bit of it, um, because it, in a way, it, it, it I, I like it because it sort of surmises kind of what I thought. So uh, Ebert says, Here is the third of the dollar westerns, so named after the first two. All three have been tremendously popular, and curiously enough, all three have been pretty good. That is strange. Stop to consider. All three were shot on low budgets in southern Italy. Their American actors, Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, and Eli Wallach, had no box office followings. Most of the other actors were unknown Italians, largely amateurs, with their English dialogue dubbed. Yet The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and its two predecessors have been great successes during a period when many U.S. Westerns have bombed. Their secret, I think, is their understanding of the Western bad man. Mysterious, without a name, absolutely ruthless. I just like that. I like that. uh, I don't know. Oh, I'm such a film nerd. I got hung up on what he said. He said Southern Italy? Yes. Uh, yeah, they're all shot in Spain. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I don't know. He was wrong. Well, he also thought that, to refer to an episode a couple, a couple, a, a movie a couple episodes back, that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was based on 
actual events. Yeah. So maybe there was only so much. You know, he was writing this back in 1968. So yeah. Early, early Ebert needed to do more research. That's what well, the internet wasn't around. Yeah, I exactly. give, I give him some credit. Um, and uh, uh, do you, but did you want? Did you read? Yeah, I've his, got. Uh, yeah, I've got movies? his. Yeah, the one from the, his four star review one. Um, where he talks about seeing it on its original release, and uh, he responded strongly. And had he said, I responded strongly and had been a movie critic less than a year and did not always have the wisdom to value instinct over prudence. Looking up my old review, I see I described a four-star movie but only gave it three stars, perhaps because it was a spaghetti western and could not be art. But art it is, summoned out of the imagination of Leon Lee and painted on the widescreen so vividly that we forget what marginal productions these films were. Yeah. yeah. Though it's well, good to be able to go back and, it, and reevaluate. And, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that, I think that's important, too. I mean, I think that we need to be able to to watch a movie and not like it initially and to be able to go back and say, either confirm it and, and say why or be like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I've totally missed this. Yeah, like, and we've got a movie coming up in a couple episodes where we'll definitely delve into that. Yes, you know, first we, impressions yeah. versus letting it sit for a couple yep. of years. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, and then the last thing, just really quick, uh, before we, I think we jump into talking about this movie, is it's got a 97 critical and audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is great. I, I love it when they're that close. Yeah. It's beloved by all. As well it should be. Yeah, exactly. So, Ian, I want to know, why did you think I was going to shit on your childhood and hate this movie? Um, is it because I don't like Westerns in general? Is that... Yeah, I know you're not you're not quick to take to them. Uh, and Outlaw Josie... No, we didn't do like Josie Wales. We High, did, High we did High Plains Drifter, and that didn't really click with you. Nah. And this it's cut from the same cloth. Yes. As far as the anti-heroes and, and heroes that are sort of morally flexible and... Yeah. But I also wasn't... I, I found the the plot to be, for some reason in High Plains Drifter, more convoluted than it really needed to be. And this seemed very straightforward. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basic. I mean, it's if a, we jump into the plot, yes. these three guys are all searching for the same thing. It's the Civil War. It's the um, New Mexico campaign. Uh, they're in that sort of part of the world, obviously shot in Spain, but made to look like it's it's the United States. And I, as a kid, I didn't think twice about it. Oh, and I can't. And I, I mean, and I still really don't. I, I mean, it say, looks I, I wouldn't great. know. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like yeah. I mean, this is this is the area for it, and yeah. and I I wouldn't have known. Yeah, it looks but, legit. Yeah. Um. So anyway, they're all uh, trying to make ends meet during the Civil War, and they all find out about this gold. Uh, and it's just about trying to to get through the Civil War and uh, get to this gold and and uh, die rich men. I know that's probably the the worst. No, that's I mean synopsis that has ever been. It's a lazy synopsis. But as we talk about things, we'll, we'll I mean we'll talk about the yeah plot. we'll unpack no, the great. plot. Um, I gotta say too though. Again, this is my first time seeing the movie, and I don't I don't dive deep into movies until I've seen them. Like. This is the second, well, and then the third and fourth Leone movies that I've seen, but I, I'm not a Leone expert in any way, shape, or form. Oh, neither am I. I. Knew, the man seemed a bit of an enigma. I knew nothing about this movie, this that it existed, right? So two things, and I'll totally admit this. This one I don't, I don't think is bad, is that I had no idea how much this revolved around the Civil War. And as the movie progressed, it, it really became very integral, um, both 
within the the plot of the movie, but also with like the the grander ideas of the movie. You know, like there's a line uh, I forget who says it later on, but you know the brothers, meaning the the the, uh, the monks or the priests or whoever they are, but like they don't they don't see the color of the uniforms, which is a great message, and I, I absolutely love that that there are people out there who are like, I'm here to help. I don't. I'm not. I'm not union. I'm not Confederate. I'm. If are you sick? Are you hurt? Great. We're gonna take you in and 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 try to heal you. And I I loved that. I love that there was that was a part of the movie. The other thing I didn't know, and I do feel a little a little more like uh, oh fuck. I probably should have known this. Is I did not know that the wah 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 was from this. And I oh really, really? Feel like I should have. Yeah. I did not know. I'm not gonna. I won't give you shit for it. It's um, all right. But uh, but but I mean, I mean, so, I'm judging you a little bit. So that's and that's fine. Yeah, inside, that's you should. It's all right. I, and I, to I, your face, I I'll tell you it's okay. No, no, no. Don't do it on the podcast. We got to air this shit out here. Um, <laughs> no, no. I, I do feel like oh fuck. I probably should have known that. Um, and not, he, not my unsung hero in any way, shape, or form because I think Morricone is, is is all over this movie. But I I do like the score. The quite score a bit. is incredible. The the final piece of me, the Ecstasy of Gold, is I think the greatest piece of film music in history. Is good. It's incredible, it's and uh, oh, God, I don't want to jump right. Well, yeah, God, that, that last last moment of the movie, or yeah. not the last moment, but the the the, the standoff was just magnificent. Um, yeah, man, I, what God? Where, where do you want to start? I I just I really did like this movie. I I was bummed. I had to watch it over a couple of days just with my schedule yeah, the way it is. Yeah. I would have liked to have watched it in in one chunk. Yeah, yeah, I really would have. But so it so, goes. I'm assuming at this point, I think it's pretty much just been generally agreed upon that the 183 minute cut or whatever it is is yeah is the cut. I mean, the original theatrical version is about 164 minutes, and then years later, I think it was about 2002, 2003 or so, they uh, went back and they re-edited it and put some restored some footage and had to have uh, Eli Wallach and Clint Eastwood come back in and dub some dialogue. Uh, unfortunately, Lee Van Cleef wasn't with us anymore, so they had to get somebody in to dub him. I yeah. think he died in about 89. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. I'd never, I've never seen the theatrical. This is the only version that I've ever known. Yeah. And, um, and there's also been, in the last couple of years, all kinds of controversy about the color timing of it because the newest MGM release had a, this kind of yellowy tint to it that, I believe it was Kino tried to go back later and fix um, to varying degrees of success. So it's had a bit of a rough time on home media, but I did go and I looked up some of the stuff that was restored back in. Okay. Um, and the one the one scene that is really questionable because Leone himself pulled it out after the Italian premiere is the scene after Tuco comes back through the desert. He has that wonderful scene with a gun store owner and then it's him going into the cave and connecting up with those guys so that we're not weirded out like oh Tuco just shows up and he's got all these guys with him. there's a scene to explain that which I don't think we really need and we can really tell that it's 2003 Eli Wallach the voice is definitely very very different uh, uh, so well, I so I think that that was probably a poor choice to you know, put that back in and maybe and maybe I don't have the ears because I not only is it my first time but I also watched it in chunks so I I, yeah. I, can't, I don't I didn't have the continuity to really no one way or the other. There is the, the one scene that I absolutely could not imagine not being in it, though, and I'm so glad that it, it is in the 183-minute version, is the angel eyes at the uh, bombed-out outpost. That scene I really do like a lot, and it's got that haunting piece of music by Morricone behind it that reoccurs later at the bridge. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's just a scene. I'm like, oh wow, I couldn't imagine that they would have made that choice to pull that out. That's fantastic. Yeah. And actually, it we go we've seen Angel Eyes at the beginning kill kill two people, a man and and one of his Holy older sons. Shit. That which is intense. Yeah. And I love the shot of the wife outside. She hears the gunshot and she's holding it and she just drops. And there's the dramatic and close feel, up of her hand. And does it feel okay? And maybe you've already thought this, but like it felt a little like the opening of Inglorious Bastards. Like, oh, yeah. long, tense, drawn out. Yeah. Like, is this going to be okay? Is it not? I, yeah, the opening, the the bad, you know, the, the whole Angel Eyes prologue of, of his story before we get, you know, before we move on, I, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. Well, yeah, I love all three of those yeah. intros into them and with the, the freeze frames of their, you know, their names coming up and coming out backwards. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and it's fun, too, because Tuco's is a punchline. Like yeah, it, it just jumping through the window. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And well, and he is a punching bag in this film. Yeah, oh, quite that the, was that was one of the scenes that I actually couldn't go back in. His torture was actually a lot longer. Oh, was like it? much much longer. Oh, and then that footage, I guess, was too damaged for them to use or put it back in. Can we can we just stop for a second though? And tell, yeah, not only is is Tuco the punching bag of the movie, but it seems like Eli Wallach had a fuck of a time on set. With oh this yeah, movie. drinking the the acid yes. that was in the the soda bottle. And uh, oh, he nearly had his head taken off. Yeah, the, so the train stuff. Yeah, can we, yeah, so just just to be more, a little more specific about both of those. So there was this acid they were going to put on the bag of gold, so that when he hit it with the shovel, it would open up a lot easier. Right. And there was this soda that he liked that he had on set, and happened to reach for this bottle of acid, and yeah, that so that was that was awful. Um, there's the scene where he he and uh, the big guy Mario Brega, um, they're handcuffed together. They roll off the the train and uh but he can't get unconnected because he's he's handcuffed to him and so he puts the body on the tracks and yeah he almost gets his he could have gotten his head lopped off by a passing uh, what was like a, a the, the steps those steps yeah, yeah. Um, they're pa- it's passing quickly yes it is oh and also i i i, I just this movie confirmed that i love a, anything with a dummy i just think it's so goddamn funny uh, I don't. I don't. It wasn't meant to be comedic. Oh, but like in under, uh, like in the general. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, not the general. The, uh, oh, the great uh, train robbery. Yes, great yeah, train yeah. robbery. But also naked gun. Like like, give me a good dummy. I, f- I fucking love it to pieces. Yeah. I think it's great. But there was also the one too where he gets. Um, there's a gunshot and uh, the, ho- uh, the he. Oh, the horse took off while he's got yeah. his hands tied behind his and back. And he had to like basically hold on for dear life with his legs. Yeah. Poor Eli Wallach. Well, and Eastwood only got almost got his head taken off as well with yeah, the shrapnel from the bridge. You know what though. A lot of the stuff I read about Eastwood on this, like, don't get me wrong. I think Eastwood in the movie is fantastic. One of my early notes is I, I might disagree with him politically, but you cannot, you cannot under, under, what, um, you cannot undervalue his stage pre- or his screen presence and his charisma. It's just, it just, it oozes through the screen. Yeah, like, there was no way in hell he wasn't going to be one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yeah, it was pretty goddamn clear. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I read something, and I don't know if this is if this is true or not. But something about like he refused to do the movie until like what uh, he needed to be convinced that Leone and his wife traveled to California to persuade him. Apparently, two days later, he agreed to make the film upon being paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars and getting ten percent of the profits from the North American markets and a brand new Ferrari and a brand yeah that was on the next page. But yeah, exactly. So, and I guess I mean that part of me is like I guess well good on you to get everything you could out of the movie, but it's also like I don't know. Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Just. Oh, I think part of that is seeing how successful is, you know, Connery got fucked over 
doing the Bond movies in in a similar sort of way, Cubby Broccoli and, and Saltzman, the two producers, they were renegotiating their contract every movie uh-huh. with uh, MGM and, and UA yeah. at the time uh, making the Bond movies. And Connery... Well, he was getting fucked over. You know, he was the he was the hot commodity, but he wasn't being taken care of. And so, so I can understand stars going, "Well, look at all this. I'll look at all the money that this is making. I need to get in on that." And you know, because without me, there is no movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, the, that kind of ego there. So it, it's a double edged sword: the ego versus making sure that you are being valued for yes what you're actually worth. Yeah. But it's just funny though, because from every like you kind of got mentioned earlier in, in Ebert's review, but also just what I had read in the research of it was, you know, Eli Wallach and Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef. These weren't like, these weren't the actors of the time. You know, they they and they weren't unknown, but they weren't they weren't like the big stars of the day. And it just seems kind of crazy that Eastwood could demand as much as he did and then get it. Yeah. And again, it's not. The the evidence is in the movies, like not just this, but the other two as well. Like he committed to a huge chunk of time filming these movies, and this one in particular, I think he's he's great in. I just I just that's just so like I mean to to be in a position where you can you can you know barter for a fucking Ferrari is just amazing to me. Yeah, it must I be just, nice. Yeah, it must be must, it be, must be fantastic. Tough life, Eastwood. Yeah. Tough life. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I mean, I feel like this is uh, I don't want to say this is your movie because I fucking love this movie too, but. Like when you when you rewatched it, like what what's what stands out to you upon upon rewatch? I was really watching Lee Van Cleef a lot in this go round again because I've seen the movie twelve, fifteen times Hot maybe damn. Hot a, damn. a lot of times. Yeah, um, it's probably a once a year for me, and I've done the trilogy, the quote unquote tri- yeah, trilogy yeah, yeah. in one shot a couple of times. Um, you don't have kids. That must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> Not recently, but I have done. Um, not the kids, but watching the children. Whatever. Have you sired children? No. Oh, okay. No. Right, uh, not that I know of. Oh. Hopefully not. Um, no, I was watching. I was watching Lee Van Cleef. Really paying attention to what he did. I love. Uh, the, I love his opening as well. It's very tense, very fantastic. Like you said, I'm glad you brought up the Inglorious Bastards comparison there. Yeah. Uh, because. Inglorious Bastards was, I think, at one point going to be called Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France, which is... The first chapter. A too long a name. Yeah. Uh, but a great homage again to Leone. Absolutely. Um, so Lee Van Cleef, definitely Morricone. I fell in love with the score all over again. And I've been obsessed with this video on YouTube of the uh, Danish uh, symphony orchestra doing it. Oh. That Ecstasy of Gold. It's fantastic. And okay. Metallica use it as well. Yes. You read that as I, the opening for all of their shows? Oh, no, I didn't know that yeah, part. Yeah, they come out to Ecstasy of oh, Gold. Nice. I haven't seen Metallica. I'd love to see Metallica, but apparently that's what they do. Oh. Anyway, so yeah, Lee Van Cleef and the score. And, I, you know, I, as I mentioned, there's been controversy with the multiple releases and color correction, color timing, and things like that. You know, I honestly don't mind, and again, this will probably be a divisive take as well, I don't mind the slightly yellow hue. Either. I didn't either. Yeah. Is, so, so you saw the the newest? No, well, I, well, I have a DVD copy of. Oh, okay. It, and All it's right. the, I mean, it's a special edition or whatever. Yeah, but it, yeah. it, and it's the it's the it's it's the director's cut or whatever you want to call it. It's the that's the longer yeah, version. Yeah, right. Um, I, I mean, I can't say that I I noticed it or didn't notice it. Well, you um, wouldn't have on it. It was on the uh, like a 2015 Blu-ray release oh, is where they where they did that. Okay. And no I idea. I think it looks fine. Well, there you go. 
I don't know what everybody's bitching about. The purists out there. It looks just fine. It looks the best it ever has, honestly. Well, there you go. On any format. There you have it. I'm... So if it's slightly yellow, I'm not going to I'm not going to piss and moan. Uh, th- yeah, I'm trying to, I'm just looking at my notes down here and there, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of um there is there is a lot of funny things and maybe they're not meant to be funny, but I I think maybe in this day and age that I, I they, there's a slight humorous edge to them when um I think every time that Tuco has got the noose around his neck and he's getting ready to be hanged, they're reading off the list of his crimes. The li- his list of crimes is absurd. It is absurd. It is long, and they range from like, like like you know slight robberies to like un. un- I mean, this is not funny, but like they they mention raping women, and it's like. What the fuck is well, this? Well, no, it's statutory rape of a of a oh. white woman, and then it's also statutory wa- rape of a uh, member of the black. He says a member of the black race, underage or yeah. something like that. And I just wonder, like, or a, or a minor. He uses the word a minor. So how? So how I, much sympathy I, are we supposed to have for Tuco? Well, well, okay, that that too. But I is it is it is it real? Is this list of crimes actually a list of crimes that he has committed? To which then I my my next question was. I, I realize this is way back. This is hundreds of years ago. Of course, there's no internet. That sounds that's ridiculous. And maybe like things are sent by you know horseback through post, and it's it's hard. But like, well, you did have airports during the Revolutionary War. But how? But how? It just you're gonna is, let that one is go. Is this not? I am because I'm on a, I'm on a thought train here. How are these towns not aware that these two guys are fucking pulling this scam time after time? And like, I, I guess I'm just confused. I'm confused as to how this is even happening and, and why. And these crimes are different. It sounds like they're different both times. He's he's got the noose around his neck, and it's like that. I, is it is Eastwood just like I'm bringing him in for X X X X and X or I don't know. I, yeah, are they inflating the list of crimes yeah. to make him the bounty more? more? Yeah, yeah, to make him worth more money because he's up to like three grand or something. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, yeah but there is a lot of humorous bits I, in the movie. I think it's the second hanging scene. I, I love where he, he kind of, the woman is, there's a woman in the crowd looking at him and he kind of growls at her and she recoils. That That's a moment I really, really love. It's just the little things that Eli Wallach would do in his performance. Well, And, and clearly, like, you know, the scene, you mentioned the gun, the gun store owner, you know. Oh, that scene is perfect. Well, it, and, always has been one of my favorite scenes. And Wallach admitted that he knew nothing about guns at all. Yeah. And and basically had free reign from Leone to just, you know, look at him. And so as he's, as he's going through all the motions, he has no idea if this is how you would check a gun. He's just, there's this, there's this great um, sort of in, in, I was, I've been rereading this, some, some theater books because I'm getting ready to teach again in the spring. And there's this great, this great sort of uh, thought that, you know, you might not know exactly what you're doing on stage, that's okay as long as you can be com- committed and specific. And this was a great scene about him being committed and specific to what he did. Because if he had been vague, it would it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, at the all. way that he listens to yes. the chamber yes. every single to listen to it clicking yes. and to trying the different barrels. And that's the, exactly what I'm talking. Oh, about. Oh, it's fantastic. And 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 the fact that he didn't know because maybe, there might be some gun experts out there that go, no, 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 that's not how you do it. But to anybody else, it's like. Oh shit! Well, he's combining pieces of a Smith and Wesson with pieces of a Colt with the Dar- with all this other shit. I but, just I love yeah, that he just goes in there and is like, "All your guns are shit. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make my gun out of all your guns." Yeah, yeah. But I just, and yeah. then I'm gonna rob you with said gun. Yeah. Oh, poor, poor. I I love oh, that that performance by that guy. I really do. Oh yeah. So th- and then I just like I you know again because I this is my first time watching it, but I I said at one point I go here's what's great about this movie. I'm about an hour in, and I still have no idea how it's going to end. And I, and it really did kept me. 
it kept me engaged. I do think with like small internal cuts, you probably could shave maybe 10 to 15 minutes off of this movie. And I mean, I just mean like some of the, some of the landscape shots and other things could be, I mean like small cuts intermittently throughout the well, movie. Well, they're even, get it down, even but. in the, the list of scenes that they put back in, I know there's one there. I'm like, ah, this kind of stops the movie a little bit for me. It's the one where, uh, Eastwood and Angel Eyes are, are together traveling and, and Tuco, we presume has been taken off by, um, the Mario Brega character. Yeah. And they're down by this creek, and Eastwood shoots one of the guys because he thinks it's just him and Angel Eyes until he discovers, oh, no, he's got a posse with him that are yeah. trailing us. And he shoots one of them, and they have the whole conversation about the perfect number. Well, I thought the perfect number was three. No, it's six because that's the number of bullets I've got in my gun. Yeah. Um, that, I, I, you don't need that in the same way that you don't need Tuco finding those four guys. I think we, we can accept that, oh, you know, once he got back into town and – dealt with all that dehydration makeup that he was, because the dehydration stuff looks great, the way their their lips are cracked yes, and their like faces are like broken open. And Although I do, I do, there was something I wrote down too that I wanted to bring up. I do, I love the trope of, um, instead of just killing somebody you want to kill, this idea that I'm going to slowly progress the the torture over time. And, and what I, that's when two goes leading him through the desert. A lot could, I mean, if it really is a, what, they uh, um, say, uh, how many miles was it? Like, 60 or 70? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So a, a lot could go wrong. And I realize that that Tuco's on the horse and Clint's got no water and he's but like I mean, he's got how many there's only so many bolts he's got in a gun. And if Eastwood, I mean, zigzagged a little bit. I feel like he could have maybe even just run away. I just this idea. And then later on when um well, we did establish that Tuco is an amazing shot yeah, with the uh I think yeah, we, the gun store owners. He's got the 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 dummies set yeah. up and he well, shoots we, them in half. They're all good shots. Yeah. All of our, th- of our three leads. Um, but then they're like the horse and buggy comes that has the, the Carson on it. And like, he doesn't kill him at that moment because there's this buggy, but it's like, if you really wanted them dead, just shoot him. Yeah. There's, and, and again, I'm not ripping on the movie, but it just seems like just kill the guy. The, the trope of, of extending out the death. Yeah. Just but like, I, I do very, vividly remember my first time seeing it and at that point man i was i was already in because i'd seen the other two and i knew to expect more of the same and better but the second you get to that bill carson scene where they find out about the gold and you know tuco has gone off to get water he knows the name of the cemetery but before he can get the name of the grave he runs off to get carson water because he's he's dying yeah and eastwood goes over there and gets the name Mm -hmm. And I, I love that, that now they are dependent on each other. Yes. That, that, that they have been brought together and they must stay together if they want to get rich. I, yeah. I really love it. It's, it's great. It's, a, it's an awesome plot device. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Which I, the original title for the film, it was a Two Magnificent Tramps. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's not nearly as catchy. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the, the, the moment kind of almost maybe right smack in the middle with Tuco and his brother? Again, I like you said, little little cuts would have would tightened a lot of that up. And do we need to know? I, I guess it humanizes Tuco, which is necessary because we've heard his list of supposed crimes, yeah. and really we shouldn't care about him. But to see where he comes from and that he did have a choice, yeah, it did. his brother I, made one and he made the other. I lost a little bit of interest, and I, I can see that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I I think it's um. I think it has its place. But I, you could definitely make arguments to, to trim it. I, I like humanizing Tuco because we've got to go on quite a long journey with him. Yes, yeah. 
Um, God, yeah. I, I mean, my notes are obviously chronological. So if you, I, I'm just going through. So if you want to stop me at any point, no, no, no. Um, you, you do your thing then. Um, I, the scene where they're they're having to play the the POWs are having to play the music over um, Tuco's torture. That's a good. That's a great juxtaposition. It's, it's heartbreaking. And there's the guy who doesn't want to play. Yeah, he stopped. He's like, play that fiddle, you. And you, and that guy, I no idea who that actor is. He might not even be an actor. He could have been just somebody who lived in Spain who knew how to play the instrument. But his like his fighting back the tears and like and then but and continuing to play on. Fuck. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's solid. Really good. Um, and then I love the back and forth. Just maybe moments later between Angel Eyes and um, and Blondie, where. Uh, Eastwood comes in and he says, you won't give me the same treatment. And Angel Eye says, would you talk? And Eastwood just, Jerry was like, no, probably not. No. Just, just is great. Again, the, the, the sort of nonchalance in, in Eastwood's performance is yeah. what makes it great. He, he's got this, this edge, this devil may care edge, which I think you need, I think I mentioned that when I was talking about Steve McQueen a few, few episodes back is you need that sort of devil may care attitude. I think I was comparing him to Fassbender. Yeah. And yeah, you, in order to be that, ruggedly handsome roguish kind of anti-hero star you know you've got to have that devil may care kind of you know if i live or die doesn't really matter you need to have that edge yeah and eastwood had it in spades so uh as i'm going through my notes here this was the point in the movie where i decided to write down a ridiculous question that i am now going to ask you let's do it fuck mary kill tuco blondie angel eyes this is weird yeah, is it? Yeah, a bit. Okay. Uh, kill Tuco. Okay. Uh, marry Eastwood because I want his money. And and fuck Angel Eyes. And fuck Angel yeah, Eyes. Yeah, okay. Okay, we're on the same page. That's what I would. <laughs> okay, we're all there. Again, okay. And if, because if, I know that our listeners were desperately wondering. And if we leave this podcast knowing one other solid thing that that together as as the 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 a thousand and one by one team. That's our fuck Mary Kill stance. Right. To go. That we're gonna that we're gonna Eiffel Tower Lee Van Cleef. Oh, oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. So are we gonna have more of like a a, a um God may rest s- in peace. A sister wives thing with Eastwood, like yeah. like a, like yeah. a me kind of I- yeah. idea. Okay, just check. Yeah, we'll right. have to move to Utah, which fuck that. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know yeah. about that. No, that's not gonna work okay. for me. I can't um, fit that into my schedule. <laughs> but then so the but okay, but then this happens kind of twice in the movie, and so I wanted to. I, I mentioned Scorsese earlier, and I, I, there's a moment earlier-ish in the movie where um, Tuco has cornered Eastwood, and there's that great scene where we can hear the spurs a little bit, and Eastwood can get the other guys outside the door, but didn't hear Tuco come up. And- That's right. It's got that wonderful repeated line of "There are two kinds of people in the world." You know, people spur their. Well, in two this case, of, two different kind of spurs yeah. in the world is what they say in this one. Spurs that come through the door and spurs that come through the window. And that's a repeated motif throughout the film, them talking about the two kinds of people. Yeah. but not, And so correct me if I'm wrong, but is this this around the, the area where, um, like, the bombs, like, blow up the, the building? Yeah. The, the cannon. The cannons. Hit, yes. Yeah, because uh, Tuco makes a, a quip about uh, there was a storm. On the night that Judas killed himself as well, then Eastwood's like, well, that might be cannons. And then there's a scene later on where Blondie and Tuco are kind of walking up they're, when they're kind, they're kind of on the same side now. And uh, there's some great, actually great shots of them walking up the streets and they're t- they're kind of taking care of... Um, oh, no, the, that's two, two completely... Different scenes. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. That's what I mean, though. But later yeah. in the movie, they're, Tuco and Blondie are kind of in tandem taking care of some bad guys. 
But there's also some cannon fire happening intermittently throughout. Yeah. And that's the great, great part of the film is they're always, they're always just behind the war. The war is always just past or isn't there yet until you get to the end on the bridge. And so, so the reason I, I, so those two scenes, and I realized that the, the cannon, the cannon fire has nothing to do with their quest to go get the gold. This is the, the, the literal civil war coming into play and kind of wreaking havoc on all of this. The reason I bring up Scorsese is because I feel like, well, we kind of talked about Tarantino's homage to this movie. You're going Gangs of New York. I absolutely yeah. am going Gangs of New York. and That's the thing I loved about Gangs of New York so much. I know it's it's a controversial film in Scorsese's canon, but I, I love Gangs of New York, and I love that we don't get an actual satisfaction in that, you know what I mean? Like it's, you know, we're, we're denied the big final battle that the whole movie has been leading up to. See, I, I really love that. I fucking hate that. I, of course you I, do. I hate it. it. But it's not because we miss out on the battle. In a way, it's like, so so did anybody learn anything? Did we gain anything from this? And, and if that's the message is that this is just going to happen again, which maybe, maybe that's the message of Gangs of New York because what we see obviously after – Leo and, and Cameron Diaz walk away from the grave is like the skyline and like New York, you know, the grass rises up over it and we get all this again. And maybe maybe what they're trying to say is that this is all going to happen again. This is just going to repeat, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't like the ending of Gangs of New York because it, it felt like, I, you know, I don't I, I don't really care about Leo at that moment. It's anticlimactic. I'm not going to disagree with you. But and, so, anyways, though, when I but in both of these separate moments, which of course aren't too plot pivotal in the movie, you know, I I appreciate it as a as a storytelling device that it's a fun it's a fun thing to put in there versus something that literally <laughs> affects the entire outcome of the movie. And I wanted to bring it up because a I noticed it and I was proud. I was like, hey, that had to have been something. And and b it reminded me of how much I didn't like it in Gangs of New York. <laughs> uh, oh, and I I didn't like it the first time I saw it. That that one took me three viewings to really come to terms and and to start really enjoying it, which I do. I love. I have a soft spot for Gangs of New York. Well, I love Daniel Day Lewis in it. I love that it is the gonna... it's the turning point in in DiCaprio's career because until he met Scorsese, I mean, all he was doing was. He hadn't made bad movies. He'd, he'd made some really challenging choices. I mean, obviously, he'd done Basketball Diaries, and he'd done... Can, can, I, can I just quickly modify that? Can I say that it, it was this year in his filmmaking that was the turning point? Because I don't want to give all the credit to this movie. Oh, there's also Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, sorry. But Cap- you could argue that had Scorsese not come into his life, his career would probably be on a, a very different path. I mean, he may have still gotten to the point where he's gotten, but it, it definitely would have taken longer. Sure, yeah. I mean... Who knows? Who knows? Speculation. Yep. Um, Rumor and hearsay. Okay. So, anyways, that, that's that's just what I what I, I you know that came up and I wanted to say something. No, I love it. Um, we got to talk about the bridge. Bridge scenes. I love the the idea of never seen so many men wasted. And this is really the movie that the message that Leone wanted to get out. I mean, it is an anti-war film. You don't really think of it necessarily. That's not where your mind yeah. goes to immediately when you think of. Good, the bad, and the ugly, but it is it is an anti-war film. It's all about the senseless loss of life and just sending men out to die for a cause. They don't even know what they're dying for. The whole point of them, it uh, it definitely was echoed in in Apocalypse Now. The idea of taking the bridge, you yeah. Know, they they 
they tear it down every night just for us to rebuild it. It's that sort of same idea of the, why the hell are we even fighting over the, It's a bridge. So the, the bridge, this whole moment with the bridges is, and it's important to me because it tackles a lot of the things that we end up talking about on, in our, in our episodes. So um, my favorite shot of the entire movie is it's the charge. And it's, it's just the, it's the way that he filmed the landscape of the bridge and both sides and, and everything happening that, that sequence is I, I just thought it was gorgeous. I, I I loved it to pieces. We have to talk about what actually happened to the bridge, yeah. which is just insane. Do you want? Do you want it? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I so mean, the so the bridge they had rigged it to blow, and uh, the Spanish army was um, a great resource for Leone. They were so sounded like they were so willing to help out and yeah. eager to participate, and like all oh, the guys got to be on film as well. You know, acting in the in the movie as extras. And they were going to let the, uh, I don't know what he was, whether he was a corporal or a captain or whoever. Somebody the, high up. Somebody high yeah. was They were going to let him blow the bridge. And, of course, there was a miscommunication over the walkies, and they went early, and it wasn't caught on film. And the, the I'm assuming an assistant director was fired. Oh, somebody well, was. I forget who it was. But, yeah, yeah, somebody, somebody you know, they held responsible on the other end of the mic was fired, and the, the Army guys said, well, we'll rebuild it for you. We'll do. We'll totally make sure this happens. And we'll do it again. But you got to rehire that guy back. Yes, I love that story. That's such too. a great, great story. And and so this leads to the the next thing, which is in a, in a movie that I had a couple options for my unsung hero. I really did, and I didn't know. And then I narrowed it down to two. But the reason I want to bring it up now is that ultimately my unsung hero for this movie is uh, Carlos Simi, who is the production designer of the movie, because I think that the sets on this movie are great and in particular you know this might have been a real bridge i don't know but the fact that they ultimately had to rebuild it i mean i i i love the 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 shacks and the different and uh some of like some of the cities are a bit nicer some of the buildings are nicer some of them aren't all of the uh the interiors in the monastery are incredible yeah, yeah exactly and it, it there's so many even like when the film opened and it's it's uh angel eyes standing in the doorway which is a great shot too and like everything and that like the big oversized like wood spoons that because that's maybe that's all they could fashion at the time like i just yeah they're eating that stew thing with yes, the, the wooden spoons the, I, and... I just thought the attention to detail of the production design in, in this movie it a it's great and b i think it, it does get overlooked because you've got three great performances from your leads you've got a, an incredible score leone became such a huge name and influenced so many other directors and even and my other one who i almost said was um uh tonino delicali who was the cinematographer of the movie but I feel like when you think about this movie too, you also think about the shots and the shot selection, and it seemed almost too obvious. And I really wanted to give a little shout out to to Carlos Simi, who was the production designer, because I I just thought it was that extra attention to detail that this movie got that that does make it feel lived in and authentic. Well, I'm gonna piggyback on oh. that. I think no, it's great. I think okay. you're no, you hit the nail on the head. Those two, the the work that they did is completely invaluable. The, the panoramic shots and the way things are framed. And there's just a, a simple shot that I love where Eastwood has, you know, he's dumped Tuco and now Tuco's back for revenge and he finally catches up with Eastwood doing the same scam with another guy. <laughs> That's right. And there's this beautiful shot panning just down the barrel of this rifle that Eastwood had past this cactus until we get to him sitting there waiting to shoot the rope. And then, of course, Tuco comes and stops it and doesn't let him save the guy. Yeah. That's a that's a great detail as well. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just, so surprised. There's just there's there's camera work in this film that you just can't discredit, and you don't even necessarily think about while you're watching it because it's so fluid and it feels so natural, and yeah. it's just a wonder to behold. Yeah, I, you know, and then and then when we finally got to when the, when the end comes and and we get to that moment where all three guys take their spots in the big in the circle and and everything. At Sad Hill Cemetery, which it's, has been rebuilt. Yeah. Yes. I yeah. I thought I read that. Yeah. There's a some people in 2015 who excavated that that stone, you know, because the graveyard wasn't there. Yes. Yes. And so they, they again another thing that the Spanish army helped them build, and so they they recreate they found the spot and they recreated it, and they got uh, Eastwood to to record a message on the the night that they opened it, and Morricone was there as well. So I mean, it was really nice to have that come back, and every people that helped out got to put their names on graves and yeah. things like that. So. Um, something a small detail about this that I really like and, and I might I, I don't have like an official will but if I ever do I might put this in there so the skeleton that is found by Tuco inside the wrong coffin at Sad Hill Cemetery was a real human skeleton a deceased Spanish actress wrote in her will that she wanted to act even after her death that's fantastic I, <laughs> I read that I was like yes yes if I die put my carcass in a movie let me live on forever I don't know. I just thought that was a fun little. That'd be great. And the other thing I read too, one of those like stupid facts. I don't mean anything except for to somebody like me, maybe who's an actor is Eastwood at one point said like Eastwood isn't a smoker. And apparently he would frequently tell Leone like in shots, like, okay, you you have to get this now because I'm going to get sick if I have to smoke another cigarette. Well, that's where that, that trademark grimace and those, those, the squinted eyes and the, the, the angry jaw, and you know, I, the gritted teeth. That kind of, he, yeah, he genuinely hated those fucking cigars. I, and I don't, I don't smoke, but I had to do a play once where the character I was playing had he kept, he, he was trying to quit smoking, and like as a as a, a device that he did, he kept a pack of cigarettes in his like breast pocket to like they're there. I don't need them, but it was like a, it was like a step for him. And anyways, I only had them in my shirt pocket for like twenty minutes, but like. I would, I would, it would start to get to my head. I'd feel faint yeah. and kind of dizzy because that's how close they were to me, and just even smelling them messed me up. And I, I'm sure I, it informed the character, though. Oh, had to have, yeah. had to have. Um, so yeah, I feel like I, I, I mean, I don't know what else you want to talk about. I, th- I mean, of course, the end of this, like the the three way shootout, the the edits, the cuts, the the music. It's just well, I love and the music as well. The, during the the Bill Carson scene where they find him in the carriage, you start to hear little strains of what will become the Ecstasy of Gold yeah. theme. You you hear it seeping into the soundtrack. I love when composers do little things like that. They drop musical hints of kind of what's to come. And, yeah. You you build on it. It's like, oh, this is how these things are connected, and you get this this great connective musical tissue yeah. that runs throughout the film. That's why Morricone is and the that's, greatest, probably the greatest composer that's ever lived. Well, and it's 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 for it's, for it's, film. Anyway. It's smart composing, and 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 it's not as manipulative. No, you know, it's not a John Williams score. Yeah, and again. I know you, you have stronger thoughts than maybe than me, but I think we maybe can a bo- Danny Elfman. We can Danny Elfman, I kick him a lot. They just they, it's I it's it's so much about telling you what to feel, you know, and I like to be guided, but not like pushed, <laughs> you know. Well, and that's that's Morricone. I, I who did I? I, was, I had a coworker that I was talking to about um, you know, Untouchables, and you know me, I love gangster films. But I don't. Yeah. That score, he's like, I loved The Untouchables, but I fucking hated the score. I'm like, how can you hate the score? The score is amazing. Oh, it's man. so over the top. It, and it's how it gets you into it, yeah. man. Oh, I, it sets the I, I it can't sets the imagine tone. the titles of that movie without the score going. Yeah. 
It's just big and bombastic, oh, yeah. and we're telling a larger than life story. And this is and, a, a bygone era of gangsters and, and G-men. When, and, and, and when they when when it's Costner and crew charging on horseback, oh, like like the, yeah. it, then it, then it's, like, it's it's almost like the score takes a completely different left turn, and it becomes this like monumental like we're riding into the day. Yeah. Oh, and and I'm not that's not me shitting on it at all. I just love that it's it was also varied in that. Yeah. And then there's his amazing oh. score for the thing, which is why. Uh, Tarantino hired him for for Hateful Eight. Is Hateful Eight is a big homage to the thing, well, and, and particularly and, Morricone's score. And and I it was yeah. I, I don't know if Morricone won before Hateful Eight, but I I love that. That's like that and um, Deacons winning for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Those are like the epitome of we fucked you over here a long you, you really, time. This might not be your best work, but we you you need one. You need one. It's in place of a lifetime achievement. <laughs> exactly. Award, right? Exactly. <laughs> and better then, because everybody knows the Lifetime Achievement Award is is the, sorry we fucked you over, here yeah. you go. Um, so yeah, nice that they have like an actual real Oscar for those two things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dude, I... It's more, so, more favorite moments, I love the, the blue, are they blue or gray? And he's like, oh, the God's on our side. Well, God's on our side because he hates idiots also. Because he's a hooray for Dixie, and then he starts batting... Oh the yes, dust oh, off the uniform. I like. Right. My, I remember seeing that for the first, and my heart just sinking. I'm like, oh no, come on, we just got on the path. And uh, they're really, and then like, yeah, the the moment where two goes in the bath, and the guy comes in and he shoots him from the tub. He's like, if you're gonna shoot, shoot, don't talk. Yeah. Which I love Eli Wallach too saying, you know, he, did, he didn't think that. that was funny. Yeah. Like people were laughing on set. And he was like, I, he goes, that's not funny. That's, <laughs> I love. He he thought about it very sensibly. Like if you're gonna kill me, do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fucking talk about it. So there are a, a couple of of landmark things we've got to talk about is that this changed Westerns forever. I mean, it would be another two years before The Wild Bunch was made, which I think is generally accepted as like the first big violent American Western, the Western that sort of changed the face of like what they call revisionist Western and these sort of more over-the-top violent ones that are not that John Ford. Yeah, the sweeping epic. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. It's no, the these searchers. are down and dirty, gritty. This movie is going to be filled with anti-heroes, people you, you shouldn't love, but you do. Yeah. And they're going to be doing horrible, violent things. Yeah. I mean, Leone was kind of ahead of the curve now, in, how do you, in that regard. How do you feel, speaking of, because I, when, I, when I think of The Wild Bunch, I, I kind of also think of The Dirty Dozen. Yeah. And so how, how would you have felt as if uh, Charles Bronson had shot this movie as Angel Eyes uh, instead of going on to do Dirty Dozen? Oh yeah, because he was the original choice. Yeah, yeah. No, I I can't imagine it without Lee Van Cleef. There's something about uh, Charles Bronson is is almost a caricature of himself, and, and well, I don't certain, in a bad certainly way. by the time he got to Death Wish Five, yes, well, he yeah, definitely yeah. was. But um, there's something about Lee Van Cleef's physical stature that yeah. I just and he's got that long angled face, yes. the very angled nose, the very you know that chin. I mean, he's just got a look which is. So and like you said at the beginning of the podcast, Leone's uh, trait for casting incredible looking faces yeah. it extends to the leads as well because they're all extraordinary looking people. Mm-hmm. They're so striking and unique. And yeah. Also, like I said, Klaus Kinsey being in uh, for a few dollars more. It's like, so ha- weird having one of the best scenes in the movie. I love striking the match on his hunch on it because he's a hunchback. And yeah. I f- oh, I fucking love that so much. That's a weird. That's a weird moment. Yeah. Well, even back in the day, I guess Kinski was a pain in the ass to work with. That, that all the, all right. the way back there, too. Uh, the other thing, the other really big thing, um, 
No, no, I talked about the, the violence in it the, 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 and the torture of Tuco. Yeah. Always, I don't know why, because I've seen it so many times, it always catches me off guard how, how violent it is and the eye gouging. Oh, the eye gouge, man. The eye gouge is, ooh, it's rough. Yeah. yeah. It's rough. So like I said, it changed the landscape and what we, we came to expect of Westerns. Um, There's a line in the in the movie that I wrote down. It's probably my favorite line, and I... I I, I wish I could remember who said it. Maybe if you hear it, you can, you'll let me know. But there's a line where somebody says, if you work for a living, why do you kill yourself working? No, oh, yeah, that's in the, the cave scene, the, the restored okay. cave scene. Yeah. yeah. Just a little I, odd dialogue. But I love it, though, because I heard that and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, that's such a man. Because people say, you know, you know, you work for a living. And also, but like if you if you know, people say, like, I kill myself. Oh, it's so like oh, this job's so hard or it's so whatever. I just love that line. It was it, it made so much sense and like was just a great like thing. It was just a great great question to have in the movie. Yeah, I just yeah. And you being a big the, my other big point is that without this movie there is there is no Unforgiven, which I think again is another movie that people regard as one of the greatest westerns ever made. I I rank Good the Bad and the Ugly slightly above it, but I mean it is Eastwood's homage to Leone and the the, the westerns that he was making. Yeah. Oh man. To begin his career. I just, they, they feel so different to me. I know, but they just, they ha- they can't exist without each other now. We're at that point where we have to acknowledge just how intertwined they are. Oh, sorry for the dead air. That, yeah. That's me really coming to terms to with that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we owe this movie so much. I mean, Tarantino said it is, it probably, I, I can't disagree with him. I mean, I'm so happy it's in the IMDb top 10 and I would... It, yeah, it, it may even crack my top 10 films of all time. Well, and I, I read, too, there was a, a note on there that that is the, it's the highest rated, or it's the only movie in the IMDb top 10 that without a single Oscar nomination. It's crazy. And again, I, the Oscars aren't the end all be all, but they kind of are in a way. And it, it is nuts that. that well, it movie, makes, I think it's, it makes sense that it doesn't have any. I mean, that's, it's not exactly catering to 1960s Academy sensibilities. Not at all. Not at all. But just, I, you know, that is kind of an interesting thing that that's the, you know. Anyways, I just thought that was kind of a weird thing to know that, you know, because it is like it's the Godfathers and Shawshank and uh, I think one of the Lord of the Rings is up there in the top 10, I think. Uh, Fight Club used to be. I think it's fallen a little bit now. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, dude, I, I don't know why you thought I wasn't going to like this movie. I was. I, well, I was nervous because of, of High Plains Drifter. Which is fair. And, I, and I, yeah, I guess I don't know why I because I he is playing a- an extension of that character. Again, this guy that rides out of nowhere and then disappears just as quickly as he yeah, came but back. I, I think for me, it was the simplicity of this story. And that's, that's not me dogging on the script. It just, I, I got it really clearly. I, f- I found high plains drifter to be more convoluted than it needed to be. The fact that we don't quite know who Eastwood's character is and this whole subplot of, of the town. And it was for gold. Are they mining gold? And like, they're mining something silver. It, it just or... was like, I, what the fuck? I don't, don't do this. Don't do this, High Plains Drifter. Don't fuck with me. Give me, give me, you know what, you know what I say now to that? Give me Leone. Yeah, give that's me, great. Give, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. And so is this, would you consider this now your favorite Western? I don't know. Because, again, I think maybe, I, I think maybe I've, I've limited myself to just watching the Westerns that are kind of more highly acclaimed. And I feel like, you know, like I, 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 I love this one. I do love Unforgiven. I, I, I don't know if I say love. I really do like High Noon. I like The Searchers. 
And I feel like those are all very different Am I, am I wrong in remembering? Did we ever talk about the remake of Three Tens of Yuma? I feel like you had a decent reaction to that, I, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I remember liking it. Yeah. But I also, I, I picked it up recently at a, at a used uh, movie sale for like, I don't know, like 50 cents. And I, I, I picked it up and I held it in my hand and I was like, what is this movie about? Because I, I know I haven't seen it since it came out. So I... I can't answer that question. Yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have I have no idea. Is that James Mangold? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, but yeah, this is if this isn't my if this isn't my favorite, it's probably in my top two or three. I mean, I mean, just like like right now, shortlist thinking about it, it's it's this and Unforgiven are I, they're up there. It's those two. Yeah, I I don't think twice. This is the greatest western ever made. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's good. And, and it changed so much, and it's it's responsible for just the 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 landscape of westerns now. Indeed, yeah. indeed. So do I do I get to ask you just another ridiculous question? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. It, it belongs in the book. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, it does absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, and you should see it. Anybody yes. who hasn't seen it should see it Please as soon do. as possible. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. I mean, it's not on any kind of. Well, it might be on some. Other countries' national film registry, I have no idea. But uh, well, hopefully somebody's taking care of it. Just go see it. Just fucking go see this movie. Yeah. It's it's really good. And if you've got time, the other two are fantastic. Yeah. As well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is I think far and away the best, but they're 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 very good. Um, yeah. and and if you watch them in the order that they were released, they only get better. So. No. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe do it that way if you haven't. Yeah, seen I it. would. I would. I would build to this one. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, that's what we think, and we always want to know what you think. So, again, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at 1001 Support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 You can listen to us on Apple Podcast, uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, all those great, great places. Um, uh, and thank you again for uh, for coming along on this journey with us. Uh, next week, if you tune in, we're talking about a, a 70th anniversary? Yes of a of a uh, a beloved classic and and i believe the number one film on the british film institute's top 100 films of all time it is indeed so uh, until then i'm adam and i am Ian, and we will see you next week